Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. I just felt like this morning there's a, a real breakthrough for us as a church this morning. I'm just, I'm, I'm actually really quite excited about speaking with you this morning. We have done, uh, we're in a, a third part of, of a series we've been calling Mystery, and we've been navigating uh, the mystery of the Godhead in whom we've given our lives to. Uh, there's a mystery contained in the Father that we've looked at already. There's a mystery that's contained in who Jesus is and that he is the, the way to the Father. And this morning I want to talk about the, the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And I, I just wanted to kind of on the start end of this, this uh, whole series, I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe demystifying the Holy Spirit. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things actually about the Holy Spirit is how mysterious he is, how, how gloriously wonderful the mystery of who he is to us and how we work with him in our lives. Jesus said, the wind blows any which way. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going to. And then he said, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. There's this, this, this freedom of the Spirit to go and to move and to have whatever way He wants. And kind of like the wind is a very much unpredictable in what's going to happen at those moments. In fact, the, the Greek and the Hebrew words for, for, for breath and for wind and for spirit are actually the same. And again, you have this wonderful mystery of this wind of knowing not where it's come from nor where it's going. And breath that gives life to every creature on earth and you are automatically enveloped just by language in this wonderful mystery of who the Holy Spirit is. And this is part of the beauty, but again, we need to learn that and understand that in the mystery, sometimes we get hung up, we get caught in an offense of the mystery, and we need to be able to learn to walk in confidence and trust and love of who this great God is that we serve. And I just long to see us as a church respond in, in just such a, uh, uh, oh, I guess we drop protocols left, right and center just to pursue a hunger in our hearts for who Jesus is and the presence of the living God amongst us. And I can tell you what, every time I've seen people who are desperately hungry want to press in for who more of God is in their lives, it gets a little messy. It gets messy. I don't know if you've ever actually seen people who are desperately hungry. Protocol goes out the window. We've seen it in India when we worked there and, you know, at the, the tail end of the tsunami in, in helping people, you know, restore their lives. And when those people were desperately hungry and they came searching and longing and looking for food they'd been without for day after day. We've just seen it recently again. And Scotty went over to, to Mozambique and helped with the Irish ministries in the, the wrap up of their cyclones. These people desperately hungry for clean water and for food. The protocol goes out the window when you're hungry. And I long to see us as a church that's so desperately hungry for more of, of what God wants to do in us. But it's at that moment when God starts to then do something, we go, hang on a minute. 
What are you doing? I, I didn't envisage it like this. That's not my preference. And remember last week we said that you can't afford to allow your preference to become a prejudice that keeps you from his presence. You, you can't allow your preference for how you want God to do what he wants to do, to, you know, for you to have an idea of how that's going to play out and what that's going to look like. Because as Pastor Joe said a couple of weeks ago, the last time we, 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 he did not check with anyone about what he wanted to do and how he was going to do it. He doesn't dial your number and say, would you be okay if I moved this way? He's altogether lovely and beautiful and wonderful, but he's sovereign. And that becomes a sticking point for some of us because God can have his way. And Jesus, last week we looked at there's this, there's this sticking point for us, there's a stigma that's attached to Jesus because he is the only way. And the way of God can become offensive to us as well as him being the only way. But I want to say about the Holy Spirit that sometimes we find there's this controversy that comes up within ourselves as he begins to move. His presence can make us restless. Our imperfect thoughts and presumptions, they're arrested by the truth as it impacts our heart and lives. Our false expectations are dashed by his different and unpredictable ways. And the presence of the Holy Spirit can be disorienting. It can offend you as much as the offense to either the Father or the Son. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come to maintain the status quo in our lives. The Holy Spirit didn't come so that we would just stay the same. Jesus said, I'm sending you one so that you would not. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the one who's been operating, working within me. And I can tell you that status quo isn't going to be the same. Things are going to shift. Things are going to change. And it's in this change that sometimes we start to take offense. He rearranges circumstances, relationships, even our own hearts. But you can't have God show up in the house and not have something outside your box happen. And so it poses the question, is God safe? C.S. Lewis did a wonderful thing in being able to take such deep theological truths and put them into story form so that lots of people could understand them. And in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he, he takes this beautiful understanding of a story of these four children who come into this magical, mystical land and, of Narnia, and they're trying to find uh, why they're there. And, and they keep hearing this rumor of, of, of the one who's in charge in Narnia, the king. And they'd yet to meet him. They'd yet to be able to uh, come face to face. Eventually, they came to know of this king well, but described later in the book as this king having great and royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, which would cause the children to go all trembly. <laughs> And many C.S. Lewis fans are familiar with one of the children's first conversations in Narnia when they come into the land. And it's with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. 
And so they come and they, they come to be able to have this conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and it goes like this. Is he a man? Lucy asked. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor far beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or they're just as silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What a beautiful way to describe God. Is he safe? Well, if, if safe is predictable and that's your measure of what safe looks like, then no, he's not safe at all. Because coming face to face with God, your knees tend to get a little trembly. He's not safe, but he's incredibly good. And because he is incredibly good, you can trust him. So whilst he might not be safe, when we have a box of what safe looks like, my preference for how God is going to manifest his presence within my life when I abandon myself to him, then no, he's not safe. And if safe's what you want, you're looking in the wrong place. I'm not sure of your background, but often it has a lot to do with how we see the Holy Spirit. And whether we think that we can trust the Holy Spirit. If you're from a Pentecostal background, and then you probably grew up with terminology around the Holy Spirit, around the Holy Ghost, and understanding that this was something normal. There was language to fit that. There was an understanding of the operation of the Holy Spirit. If, if you're from a, a Baptist and a Church of Christ background or something like that, you know, uh, then, then you would probably, we, we saw ourselves, or we probably still do see ourselves, there's this badge we wear saying that we're people of the Word. Have you heard that before? People of the Word. And so there's this understanding that we feel very safe with the Word of God. We trust the Word of God, but we're not sure we're as safe or trustworthy in the hands of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of strange, really, because He's the one who wrote it. In fact, we should feel safer with Him than we do with this, because this just introduces us to Him. But it's the understanding of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we open our lives up to what He wants to do within our lives. And we can acknowledge uh, the understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit and never see the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we did that for a long time. And, and you can acknowledge, and particularly when you say the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to salvation. Well, praise God it is. Because you wouldn't be sitting here as a Christian if that's the case without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's by Him that we have a means to grace. 
It's the Holy Spirit who brings us to salvation, who convicts us of our sin, who lets our eyes be open to the wonder and the beauty of what Jesus that we talked about last week had done for us so that we could come into relationship with God the Father. But the Holy Spirit's work doesn't end at that point of salvation. Nor does it end in just giving us the assurance that we are children of God. But do we get stuck sometimes in the trust aspect of trusting the Holy Spirit? If we know he's not safe because he just might do something that's outside of my, my box or my preference, then do I trust him? You can trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an equal member of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not abandoning yourself to just some, some, some crazy, mysterious force. We're relinquishing control of our lives to the power of God. Being open to the Spirit is vulnerable to Him immediately and directly. Being open to the Word directly is to be open to the Spirit indirectly. Because he's the one who takes words off a page and lets them settle in here. Who brings transformation to my thinking. Breaks the chains we've been singing about this morning. And as the Spirit applies that word, we're being open to the Spirit. Is when we, He manifests himself in an immediate and direct manner within our lives. Now, how many of you have, have been reading this for so long and you'd ever wondered, well, this is just how... These stories are amazing. From the front cover to the back cover, there's amazing stories in there, and not one of them is happening outside of the power of God. Every miraculous and wonderful story that brings glory to God is because the Holy Spirit was active and at work, doing something wonderful amongst those people, and he doesn't want it to stay within a book. He wants to do it in our lives again today. This is just the excitement to be able to go, wow, God, if, if that's the testimony of what you can do, I'd like to see you do that again. I'd, in fact, like you to see you do that again through me. And if in God, Jesus, you've said that you, you, you would not leave us as orphans, but instead give us the Holy Spirit, then, then, then I, I'd want your Holy Spirit to be at work through me just as much as I want, want anything else in my life. And we've been talking about the stigma of this Trinity and the stigma that's carried with the Holy Spirit is the offense that he carries, I guess, is a way to put it, is his very presence, it's his manifestations. He makes perceptible the outward or visible expression of the Trinity. In other words, the stigma of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit himself. He by nature offends and all that is offensive about the Father and the Son, they're embodied in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when his work becomes exposed, when it becomes made clear, when it becomes visible, manifest in our presence. You see, some of the other stigmas that are attached, like the sovereignty of God, you can kind of put it in some philosophical, theological headspace that just says, well, that's out there. Once you overcome the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father, then you can kind of put that behind you and you move forward in relationship with Jesus. 
But the stigma of the Holy Spirit is himself and he lives within you. <laughs> what, how, what do you do then? You see, you can't affirm all that Jesus was and all that Jesus did and then turn around and reject the Holy Spirit. The persons of the Godhead are united. The Holy Spirit mirrors the other persons of the Godhead. Therefore, how we respond to the person of the Spirit may show what we really feel about either the Father or the Son. Oftentimes, manifestations of the Holy Spirit just seen so clearly in the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And most of us are okay with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I mean, they sound like wonderful things. But have you ever thought that self-control is not just about your moral self-control, about your choice and your will to do or not to do something, but in fact, self-control to be able to put yourself in the control of Holy Spirit. Now, when the gifts of the Spirit are given, we have some we like more than others. And, and, uh, am I right? We, we like some more than others. And, and so we start to differentiate them. We start to group them. We start to put them in their, their, their neat little boxes because that helps us, right? Helps me to feel safe again in my preference, so it doesn't become a prejudice, but it sure does when I see Holy Spirit start to move in the gift of the Spirit that I'm not comfortable with, like administration. <laughs> Let alone prophecy or tongues or healing. And this can bring an offense. We all experience God differently, that's for sure. For some, it causes us to rethink an attitude or a point of view, while in another, there's an expression of joy, while still in another, there's an expression of deep repentance. For some, that comes with waves of laughter or tears or tongues or shaking or falling out in the spirit, and while others, there's no outward expression at all. Kind of hard to see. Makes it kind of hard to judge. You see, as many as the different things there are amongst us, how God will work in us is so varied and different as well. See, we tend to judge each other by our own preferred manifestation. Some people try to keep their decorum around God. Have you noticed that? For some, it's our personality type. Maybe it's our upbringing that helps us think that we, we don't act a certain way around God. We become disrespectful if we act that way. And they have a point. Sometimes there are those who may act inappropriately. But I want us to always remember that to have a holy fear of God and His majesty and holiness needs to be there anytime we're, we're, we're gathered together, hungry to come and, and see God do work. We, we must have this holy fear of God's majesty, His holiness. However, that does not equate to quietness and, and sobriety and moderation. It equates to humility, dependence and hunger. That's what it equates to. 
One thing is clear throughout church history is that, that any, old, any powerful move of renewal, any pending revival brings with it different ways in which the power of God intersects with the fragility of human bodies. And we don't want to stop the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to control them. We don't want to emphasize them either. John Wesley, back in the 1700s, founder of the Methodist movement, probably one of the most well-known revival preachers of his time, and he reported this in his diaries. He said, people dropped on every side as if thunderstruck, hit by lightning. As they fell to the ground, others was with convulsions exceeding all description, and many reported seeing visions. Some shook like a cloth in the wind. Others roared and screamed and fell down with involuntary laughter. 1739. He states this, he says, about 60 of our brethren stayed until three in the morning and the power of God came mightily on us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. And John Wesley prayed. Lord, send us revival without its defects. But if that's not possible, send revival defects and all. You see, there's a man who understood what it meant to come hungry before the Lord, wasn't overly thrilled sometimes with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence, but went, I prefer you. I prefer you. I want you. I'm not going to look at the manifestation to, to that be the, the, the key thing that I focus on all the time. I want you. We want your spirit to move in revival. And this was common right across any of the greats. You can read about uh, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, George Fox. They all record the same things. Before them, the Moravians. Before them, Pentecost. Have a look at it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most influential voices in Western evangelicalism in the, uh, the evangelical church in the last 20th century, pointed out that it comes nearer to being the rule in revival that manifestations occur. He says, these phenomena are not essential to revival, yet it is true to say that on the whole they tend to be present where there is revival. And the important things to remember is that here, it's God at work. It's God at work. Those that are, are touched in obvious and sometimes physical ways, and many who may not be manifesting at all in any such signs, but we need to remember always, it's the presence of God at work. And he, His presence for those who are willing to allow Him to work are going to gain a renewed a renewed hunger for righteousness, for holiness, a, a, a renewed interest in a, a God-centered life and experiencing healing of emotional wounds and frequently find the empowerment for new ministry. This becomes then the fruit of what God does. And sometimes people who are so excited and an ecstatic experience bring with them the, the excess that detracts sometimes from the work of the Lord. I understand that. That's been a common thing in all genuine moves of renewal and revival. 
We always want to learn and grow. We're, we're on a journey. I think it was Randy Clark at one visit here who would say to us, you know, sometimes it'll be signs and blunders, not signs and wonders. But we're on a, a journey to grow. John Wimber said it's neat and tidy in the graveyard, but it's always messy in the nursery. So what do we do with God's manifestations? Do you stop pressing in? Do you dial back on hunger for God to move? No way. The best approach in situations like this is to just simply deal with it. Deal with the excess. Teach into it. In a spirit of love and gentleness, in relationship with others, allow the Holy Spirit to, to continue to be worked. We should never be so afraid of the counterfeit that we refuse to be able to experience the genuine. We can never be so afraid of counterfeit that we will then refuse to experience the genuine. Think about it. If you're going to counterfeit something, if you're a counterfeiter, make sure you counterfeit hundreds. Maybe a 50. You're not going to do it with a $1 coin. Why would you put all of that effort and time into counterfeiting something that's just not so precious compared to something that really is. And we should expect that to be the case, but we needn't be afraid of it. We pray for discernment and we correct with love and patience, but if we build a, a wall up to stop what we might consider excess by the time it's over here, by, by looking far off, how, why should we allow someone's lack to define what excess is? In love, in gentleness, in relationship, we teach, we move together. The church is really an eclectic mix of people, really is. Have a look at the person sitting next to you. I mean, come on. You may be sitting next to you, you may have woke up next to them. <laughs> but a few people down the aisle, a little bit further on, and we're a weird bunch, aren't we? There's probably no other organization in the world where you get people with such a, a diverse eclectic mix coming together in unity. Well, that should be the case. That should be the case. Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the what? Spirit. Of the Spirit. Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice those words, unity of the Spirit. Not a unity that's found in theology. Not a unity that is found in only experience. Not a unity that's found in doctrine or style or in any other thing. It's a unity that is found in the Spirit. There's a unity when we recognize the Spirit of God at work and we understand that even though we have our differences, it's the same Spirit of God that lives in me, that lives in you, and we find commonality because the Spirit of God is within us. We're family. Now, when you come to Christmas time, and we gather as family together, 
and long lost cousins and uncles and everybody else starts to come together and you look around at one another, you, 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 you realize we share DNA and for some time of you, that's a horrifying thought. But it makes us family. The DNA you and I share, even though we're so different, is the DNA of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that unifies. And the history of a church reveals that during times of change, keeping unity is a hard task. The celebration of diversity in unity often becomes too hard. We just start to gather in small groups of people who are just like us. Churches then that are just like us. Denominations that are just like us. And we find commonality, common backgrounds, common class, common language, common philosophy, common race, common theology, common likes, and pretty soon there isn't much need to make an effort at all to be gentle. We don't need to make an effort to be humble or to keep the bond of peace because everybody's just like me. You know what that's called? Narcissism. I find it easy to love people who are just like me. You see, we like churches that are homogenous. Homogeneous. I didn't know which way to phrase it. But the kingdom is not homogenous. I believe that the same God who didn't make two fingerprints the same, two snowflakes the same, did not intend to make our experience of the Holy Spirit the same. We serve a God who likes diversity. And I would suggest we need to learn to like diversity too. I believe that if we could learn to appreciate diversity within the body of Christ, we would go a long way to stopping that which Satan has used forever to divide the church, our judgment of one another. That's what he's used. One of the most heartbreaking things is some stuff I've seen recently on the internet just judging people. Oh my goodness. I was called a false prophet recently. I thought, wow, I'm a prophet, that's cool. <laughs> I didn't even know that. We like to judge people at a distance. Chris Vallotton posted an Instagram picture this week that said, suspicion is discernment's wicked stepsister. Suspicion is discernment's wicked stepsister. Why? Because suspicion carries with it from the outset, where am I finding fault? Where do I find fault? You, you see, we, we need to be discerning, but not suspicious. We need to be discerning, but not judgmental. God hasn't called us to be judgmental. He hasn't called us to be suspicious. He's called us to be discerning, and there's a big difference between the two. A discernment about the manifestations of the Spirit would say something like, is this God's power at work? Are people gaining this renewed hunger for righteousness as the, the fruit of it, our holiness, a renewed love for Jesus to live a, a God-centered life? Does it move them towards ministry and mission where God is glorified? Maybe, maybe sometimes in 
discernment, particularly around the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, judgment comes real quick because of the, sometimes it, it, we, we, we say that's a fleshly exaggeration. I shook on the floor under the heat and the power of God for about five hours. Sweated through every clothing item I had. I think God did that because he was speaking to me at the time and he wanted to remind me always that he can do anything he wants. To anyone. But would you judge that? Or do you discern? What's the fruit? How do we do that in relationship? How do we do it with love and honor? Because remember, if we're, if we're offended at God, or we're offended even at one another, or how importantly God is going to, to touch somebody else, and that becomes our moment of offense, that's going to build offense, the barrier between you and him. And it's going to stop what he wants to do in your life. And he calls us to, to pull it down. To walk in trust, to walk in love, to walk in confidence that we can trust our God. See, discernment allows us to work out what's at play. But be careful, it's so easy to move from discernment, which is testing all things and holding on to what is good and slip into judgment because that's a little too different. Greg Boyd says that judgment is when you take the assessment of someone else and you attribute value to them, yourself or others accordingly. In the church, that sounds like, look at what God is doing in them. I must have missed out. Why did they form that clique? Well, that's ridiculous. God would never choose to work like that or cause that to happen. You know, we usually judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Take time to get to know each other. And out of all of this, remain present-centered. Really won't bother you if you're present-centered. If you're worried about what other people think, you're in for a speed bump. I want us to know, are we willing to become a sign where God would manifest himself as he desires? Are you willing to be, are you willing to carry a stigma? Are you willing to carry the stigma? Are you willing to say, God, if this is you, more. If this is you, more. I've prayed that prayer so many times. Lord, if this is you, I want more. I'm willing to let you take anything from me, receive anything you want to give to me. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, Which of you fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, many things in the kingdom are available but not everything's automatic. Everything's available, not everything's automatic. 
We have to position ourselves to receive that which God wants to give to us. An offence stops you receiving. Here's the thing with the mystery of the Holy Spirit, and maybe more so than any of the other members of the Godhead. When you come to Jesus and you encounter the Holy Spirit, your job is not to try real hard to do this, followed by that, followed by this, followed by that. Your job is to surrender and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Your job is to surrender and don't grieve. Don't, don't put water on the fire. Don't put water on the fire. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't restrain the fire of the Spirit. And I see our church like a, a fireplace. And the fireplace serves the fire. There is no point for a fireplace without a fire. It becomes a dusty mantelpiece. That's not what we want. We're a church that serves the fire of God. And that's what we need to add. And I say, let it burn. Let it burn. Let it burn strong. Let it burn deep. Let it burn more. And we need to put ourselves in a position where we say, yes, God, more. If this is you, more. If this is you, want it. Take anything in a way that is not mine and give anything you want. Lord, more of you. More of you. And if you feel like that's you this morning and just say, God, I want more. Why don't you stand to your feet? Why don't you stand to your feet? God, I want more. I want more. I want to put an offense behind. I, I, don't, I don't want a Holy Spirit. I don't want to be holding offense at the way you've chose to manifest yourself. The way you've chosen to do what you wanted to do. God, would you forgive me for the times in which I've, I've looked at others in suspicion. I've looked at others in the kingdom even, even far away, those I knew not know by, by, by sitting down and having a meal with them, by understanding who they are. And I've, I've thrown stones of judgment. I've thrown stones of accusation. If not coming out of my mouth in a literal way, I've said it in my heart as I've looked across and I've seen you manifest yourself through somebody. And I've thought, oh, that's not you. Oh, what a dangerous place to be when we start accusing what God does and attributing it to the enemy. Oh, may it never be. Let's just open ourselves up again. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and fill again. We want to hear the sound of your spirit roaring through this place. Igniting a mighty fire. A fire that would burst forth, God, in revival. A fire that would burst forth. A flame that would be seen all across the world. More, Lord, we pray. More. More of the power and the evidence of your Holy Spirit at work more signs and wonders of your presence amongst us. More of your glory to be tangible and evident and seen such that the community around us would know. And as we go, as we go 
this afternoon as we go through this week, as we're, as we're sent, Lord God, as we go, we pray your, your spirit at work in each of our lives would, would burn brightly like, a, like a, 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 the fire being taken out in multiple places. Let it rage. And as we build this fireplace of praise, as we build this fireplace of worship, as we build this fireplace of prayer, as we call on you, God, let it rage. Let your fire rage. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.